Last week, we started a new series called Kingdom Come. And we looked at this idea that when Jesus came, that he was bringing this new reality. That the kingdom, he says, is near. Almost as if you could press into it. Not completely. Uh, the kingdom the, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of, of heaven will not be fully realized until after this world. Uh, but it's not that we have to wait to experience the kingdom of God. That when Jesus comes, he brings the kingdom with him. Uh, we talk about the church a lot, whether that's the church building or the church as a people. Uh, but the word church is literally only used two times in the New Testament. This word ecclesia, which means this assembly of people. Two times is all it's used. But the word kingdom, kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is used 121 times. There is something significant that Jesus is doing with his life. He is pointing to a new reality. That what people thought their lives looked like, what they thought God was about, was changing as Jesus enters into our world. It's important, I think, that for us, specifically if you're a follower of Jesus, to not believe that the kingdom of heaven is only something you experience when you die. That, that we've talked about this, that, that the kingdom of heaven is not something that you just punch a ticket to and that you just wait I can remember as a kid and going through some difficult things as a teenager, uh, I, I, I needed hope for after I died, but I, I needed hope now. I needed hope in the midst of, of what was going on in my family and in my world. I needed hope now. And so when, kingdom come, when, when Jesus comes and he brings the kingdom, he's saying the kingdom of God, the hope that you need, the peace that you need is here and now. It is here and now. And then he even invites his disciples, his followers of Jesus, to pray that the kingdom of God would come. I mean, just think about that. Jesus doesn't say, hey, look, uh, one of these days you'll experience peace and hope and joy and love. No, he says that your role as a follower of Jesus is that you begin to pray that God's kingdom would come here and now. Now, what we're going to look at today is if there is a kingdom, there has to be a king. There has to be a king. And so if there is a king, uh, who is this king? If the king is Jesus, what is Jesus about? And more importantly, is he who you were expecting to come? Is this king the one you were expecting? So to have a kingdom, you have to have land. You have to have a place and space for the king to rule uh, you have to have a will, so the king's will or the king's laws, that, that people have to recognize uh, who the king is. So you have to have a group of people that acknowledge him as the king. But most importantly, you have to have a king. There is no kingdom without a king. And so when Jesus comes and he ushers in this new kingdom, the people who experienced him for the first time, he was not what they were expecting. They were expecting something much different. Uh, expectations kind of rule our lives. Um, the, the failed expectations, my family just went on a, a, a short trip up to the Wisconsin Dells. Uh, on our drive up there and we got out and it was cold, uh, my wife and I began to wonder why we headed north for spring break and not south. Um, but we, we headed up to Wisconsin of all places, to the Dells, the water park capital of the world. Uh, and we, we get up to the, the Dells and we, we get into our hotel room and online, when I looked at our hotel, this little resort we stayed at, you know, it looked just like a, a, a typical hotel room, two beds and a bathroom. And 
you open this door and it was like light shining on the, the hotel room. It was two huge rooms and my, my kids had their own beds so they didn't have to fight over pillows and blankets and, and they had their own space and they had their own beds to jump on. If you've been around here, you know that that's one of our rules that they jump on the beds at hotel rooms. They don't jump on our own beds, but they jump on hotel room beds. So they had their own beds. And so our expectations were not just met, but it was exceeded. But, but then, then we, we found a place to eat. And I don't know if you're like me, we, we jump online and we read reviews and why you should go eat in these places. And this restaurant we found had this train and this train would bring out your food and your drinks. We're like, oh, this is going to be, this is incredible, right? Yeah. And, and then it, it just wasn't quite what we were expecting. Um, the train went about 10 feet and 10 feet back and uh, brought out the drinks. But then they had this sign. It said the, it said the area's largest buffet. So we're like, oh, this is incredible. We realized we think it might have been the only buffet uh, in, the, uh, in, in the area. But, but these idea of expectations, the expectations in relationships, the unmet expectations that we have for people, the often unspoken unmet expectations we have for people, our boss, our roommate, our teachers, our student, right? Expectations mean a lot. And so the people had these expectations of what the king was going to do and what the king was going to look like. They were expecting a king. They were always waiting for a king. If you know much about the Old Testament or if you were to read the Old Testament, they actually ask God, would you give us a king? We, we, we just need an earthly king to kind of rule a kingdom. And, and God gives it even though he, he doesn't really um, necessarily appreciate them asking for a king. He gives a king and each time this king isn't quite what they were hoping for. Right? They either failed politically or they failed religiously or they failed morally. Like The kings could never live up to what they needed. There was never this perfect king that would come. And so they had always waited for a king that would come and rule in a perfect way. And when Jesus enters into the scene, right, he enters into the scene into a world of oppression when he's born and we celebrate Christmas and his birth into our, our world, uh, he enters into a time of oppression and then he lives his life, and at the, around the age of 30, when we kind of see Jesus begin his works, there is an oppression that's happening. That Rome is ruling over the Jewish people, and they're being oppressed. And so they're longing for the one who would come and save them. The one who would come and overthrow the oppressor, Rome, to set them free and defeat their enemy. This was the Messiah that they were waiting for. They were expecting a certain kind of king. Well, if you have been around church, maybe, maybe this is new to you, but today is considered a Palm Sunday. A Palm Sunday, if you were to look in your Bible, it would have a phrase, probably the triumphal entry of Jesus, where, where Jesus enters into Jerusalem during this last week of his his life. And, and literally today, millions of people will, will remember, reflect, and learn about Palm Sunday. And it's interesting where, where we're at as a community, as a world. Um, I think this is very important for us to look at um, today. We're, we're going to look at this story. And if you do know it, my hope is that you'll, you'll kind of see it with fresh eyes, that what you're expecting may be just a little bit different. Uh, that we'll get a clear picture of who Jesus is, who this king is, and what kingdom he is bringing. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, there's a red Bible around you somewhere. I would encourage you uh, to take that. That's our gift 
um, to you. If you have a smartphone, maybe you want to pull that up. Um, it'll also be on the screen with a page number for that red uh, Bible. But it's in Mark 11. On Mark 11, I'm going to read this and I'm going to point out a few things. It says, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell him the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying this colt, that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. So there's a lot going on in this story, but there's a lot that's not said here um, that we need to look at and to understand. Um, There actually would have been two processionals that were taking place at the same time. Uh, Jesus's parade wasn't the only one happening in Jerusalem. Uh, Pontius Pilate also would have been having a parade into Jerusalem. Uh, Pontius Pilate was the ruler of that area. He was the governor or the the Roman emperor. He would have led a group of Roman soldiers into Jerusalem. It would have been massive. Hundreds, if not thousands of soldiers, Roman soldiers, would have entered into Jerusalem. Uh, They would have been dressed head to toe in their armor with their swords at their side. And they would have been walking into the the, uh, beat of a drum. And what was happening is this was the week of Passover. And so on Friday night, the the locals, the, the Jewish people, and hundreds if not thousands of Jews would come into Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And what they were doing is they were remembering when God had rescued them out of Egypt. And, and so what, what, would, what would also have been going on, what, there was always rumors of rebellion. There were always rumors that those who were being oppressed would rebel against the Roman authority and they would overthrow it. Uh, the last time it would have happened would have been about 30 years before that. Uh, a group of Jews tried to rebel and, and overthrow the kingdom. Um, it did not go well. Uh, about 2,000 Jews ended up being crucified because they were rebelling against Rome. And so Pontius Pilate would bring in his cavalry. He would bring in his group to remind the Jews, don't ever think about rebelling. Don't don't think about ever trying to get out of this. And so Rome had made their intolerance for rebellions known. And so all of these people for Passover would have experienced this parade. Now, this is what's interesting. This isn't that uncommon for our world even today. Uh, Here's just a couple of pictures, um, whether it's Russia or North Korea, of of this happening, right? And and the the one on um, the right is, is North Korea's most recent one. And what they are doing is they are ruling with intimidation, with threat, with a power that says, don't ever come against us. 
And as you've been reading our, our um, president and our government, we're, we're planning our own military parade in November. And once again, it will be this massive parade of saying, look at the power that we have. Don't ever think about coming against us. <laughs> but then on the other side, just on the other side of the city, you have Jesus entering into Jerusalem. And, and he doesn't enter into the same way. See, what the people don't know and what, what no one really fully understands is that Jesus has all the power. Jesus has all the authority. But he comes in riding on a donkey. <laughs> Not just a donkey, but a borrowed donkey. Jesus doesn't even have a way of getting into Jerusalem on his own. He has to borrow a donkey to make his way into Jerusalem. Now, here's what's interesting about this. Jesus walked everywhere. If you were to read the New Testament, if you were to read the Gospels, Jesus always walked everywhere. So why in this moment did he not just walk into Jerusalem? Why does he request a, a donkey? Now, I don't know if you know this, but hundreds of years before Jesus is born, before Jesus' death, there were these prophets, these people who were pointing towards the future, and they were writing about Jesus. So about 550 years before this moment, in what's called Zechariah, Zechariah 9.9, it says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your kingdom, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus knows that those who were in the city were waiting for him. They're waiting for the king to come. Jesus knew the scriptures. And so in this moment, Jesus is fulfilling these prophecies. And he's wanting everyone to know that he is the king that is entering into this kingdom. And the people come and they throw their cloaks on the, the ground in front of Jesus. Um, this would have signified that they recognized Jesus as the king. I mean, if you think about it, if there's a, a spot, and I, and I do this, trying to do this with my wife or my kids, if, if you've got to get over a rough place, you help them get there, and you've seen in movies or a time where they throw their jacket over a puddle and they let someone walk by, right? This is what's happening, is, is the locals are saying, we know who you are. We have been waiting for you. We have been expecting you to come. Then the people come and they start throwing down palm branches, right? This is where we get the idea of Palm Sunday. They, they throw down these palm branches and they begin to wave palm branches around. Now, there, the significance of this is this wasn't the first time they would have done this. Uh, this was a symbol of victory. So anytime a ruler would have went out and won a battle and they came back in, they would have waved the, these palm branches as a sign of victory. So once again, they recognize the king is coming. They're expecting him to come, and they believe that victory is going to be theirs. And then they begin to sing and to shout in front of Jesus, in front of him and behind him, Hosanna, right? We sing songs that have this word in it, and oftentimes we might sing this and not fully know what it means. But they literally, when they sing out Hosanna, they are saying, I beg you to save. I, I beg you to save. Please deliver us from the oppressor. Hosanna, Hosanna, as they're waving these branches. We have victory. We have expected you to come. See, they had the expectation of this king. They had this expectation of Jesus, that Jesus was going to ride in and overthrow Rome, that Jesus was going to come in and with his might and with his power and with his strength, 
He was going to defeat Rome, the oppressor, and set his people free once again. See, Pilate asserted his power and strength, showing the might of his empire that will crush anybody that comes against it. But Jesus rides in on this slow-moving donkey that embodies peace or shalom for all who are looking to be free, like really free, not just free from a an earthly kingdom from an earthly empire, but really those who are looking to be free. And so Jesus enters into the city, and what does he do? Nothing. He literally does nothing. Look at it again, verse 11. Jesus entered Jerusalem, went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. There's this huge parade. Jesus enters into Jerusalem that the people are expecting something great to happen. Jesus looks around. He's like, man, it's getting kind of late. I think I'm going to go ahead and, and head back. And Jesus literally turns around and walks out of Jerusalem doing absolutely nothing. And so I think this is the moment when the locals, the, the Jews who were waiting, realized that what they were expecting wasn't happening. That this kingdom that Jesus was bringing in looked much different. And I think those who welcomed Jesus in singing Hosanna and I beg you to save us will be the same crowd who chant out crucify him in just a few days because Jesus was not the king they were expecting. He was not the one that they were looking for. And so just like they made a choice, we too have to choose. We have to choose, is this the one? Is this the king that is going to come into my life and, and really free me? Is, is this the one who is going to give me hope and peace and joy? Or do I need to be looking for a different kingdom? Do, do I need to trust in earthly empires, in earthly kingdoms, in our local government to really give us peace and joy and, and, and give us what will satisfy us? Or do we need to be looking for a different king and a different kind of, of kingdom? There are several things that happened this week leading up to Easter in the life of, of Jesus. Uh, I talked about it. We have Good Friday and we have Sunday, but there are a few other moments that happen. As Jesus comes back into Jerusalem, he leaves Bethany the next morning and comes back. And here's what I want you to see from this. If you're a Christian, I want you to see that you're called to embody the teaching of Jesus. That the life of Jesus is supposed to be implemented into our everyday lives. That this king who brings a different kind of kingdom is helping you and I learn how to live here and now. That we too could play a part in bringing God's kingdom. That as Jesus invites us to pray that God's kingdom would come, that this isn't just something we pray and hope God does without us. That we pray for something that we feel like is out of our hands, but maybe when we pray that God's kingdom would come, that he's actually asking us to use our hands to bring his kingdom here and now. So three things. Three things. I could have pulled out several, but three things that I feel like teaches us about this king and this kingdom. When Jesus does come back, and one of the first things we see him do is Jesus does get mad and angry at those who are oppressing people, but it's not the Romans. It, it, he's frustrated with those in the temple. So he comes and he gets mad at the oppressing, those who are oppressing, those who are trying to make their way back to God, those who are trying to be in God's presence. Uh, we, we see this in Matthew 21. 
12 and 13, it says, Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. And actually the church, what, what they would have seen as the church, the temple, the place to meet with God, had actually come to a place where they were oppressing people. They were actually making it difficult for people to make their way back to God, to find forgiveness. They, they had to use Jewish coins, but they only had Roman coins, so they would have to exchange Roman coins for a Jewish coin to make an offering. And so someone says, oh, I think we can make some money off of this. Greed enters in. There's probably fraud. They were oppressing poor people. They know they have to have it, and so they can charge whatever they want. Uh, they, they have to have a sacrifice, and so... Most uh, uh, of the people who are there, if they're poor, they, they don't have extra. They don't have a way of, of finding these animals to, to make as an offering. And so they would have to buy them there. And they knew, the people there knew that they had to have them. And so instead of helping them, instead of making it easy for them to, to understand forgiveness and to make their way back to God, they made it hard. They took advantage of a situation. There was a need and they thought, well, we'll just... We'll just price it whatever we want because we know they have to have it. And so Jesus comes in and his first action is to say, no, no, no. It's not difficult to make your way back to God. That I'm going to destroy anything that makes it difficult to find your way into the kingdom. And so he throws over the tables and he gets frustrated with those who are taking advantage of people. Now, just let me say this. It doesn't look the same today, but I still think that there's this struggle that we often have in the church where we don't always make it easy for people to come. We don't always make it easy for, come, for people to come. Sometimes there's some barriers. Sometimes there's some expectations. Uh, one of the, the, the really simple things, and, and I've talked about this before, is the way we dress, right? And, and so I, I stand before you like this on most uh, Sundays, jeans most of the, the time, and, and there's a purpose behind that. that. This idea that just come as you are. When I went to church, I went to a very, very nice church as a teenager, a very, very wealthy church. I can remember my mom, even when I would go home from college and when would talk to my family about going, there was this barrier because we didn't dress that way. We didn't come from money. We weren't, we weren't suit and tie and nice clothes. And so there was a barrier that kept even my mom and my family from entering into and understanding who God was. There was a physical barrier. And so let, let me just say, you dress as you are. Dress how you feel comfortable, but, but just know that we don't have this expectation when people come into this place that they will look a certain way or dress a certain way, that, that people truly do come as they are. The expectations that we have for people, that they have to, to live a certain way, that their lifestyle has to look a certain way, that, that we should believe that this is an open place for anybody, that this is a welcoming place for anybody, that anybody can come into this place and learn about the love of, of God. The, the, the phrase, a place to belong before you believe, that, that, that should not just be something we say, but that we treat people as they enter into this space like that. When you, when you see someone who is new, or if you're new with us today, that we really mean that. That we really mean that. That, that we're not a place where we want you to come and behave a certain way and believe a certain thing, and then when you do that, that you can belong. You belong. This is what God is doing through Jesus in this moment is he is saying, look, the kingdom is open. 
We will not put up barriers or boundaries at who is welcome in the kingdom. Jesus eventually destroys the temple and the need for that. Jesus comes and says he is the way to the Father. The next thing he does in in this, this king, in this new kind of kingdom, who the people were not expecting, is he shows the full extent of his love. He shows the full extent of his love. In John 13, uh, 1 through 16, this is just moments before Jesus uh, grow, goes to the, uh, the cross. It won't be on the, the screen. But just moments before, he's with his disciples. Uh, they've had their Passover meal. They, they were Jewish people, so they're participating in Passover. And in John 13, it says this, It was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Now, this is what's really interesting to me. We would think that the full extent of Jesus' love is when he goes and he is beaten and he dies on a cross. Right? I mean, that seems to be, to me, the full extent of his love. But this isn't that moment. This is the moment, if if you've read the scriptures or the gospels or if you've been around church, where Jesus fully humbles himself, right? There was this pattern and in, in this culture and custom. When you would walk the, the, the roads, it was dirty and you'd have sandals. And so you'd enter into a home and, and a couple things would happen. They would either offer you a basin of water, right? They'd give you a basin of water and you could wash your feet. Uh, sometimes they would have a maid servant who would wash your feet for you, but rarely ever would they make anybody do that. That was like the lowest of lows, who wants to do that? But the scriptures here in John 13 says, showing the full extent of his love. After they eat, he gets up from the table and he wraps a towel around his waist and he grabs a bowl and he kneels before his disciples and he begins to wash their feet. Jesus, the king of kings, the one who has all the power and authority, humbles himself lower even than most servants and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. This is the full extent of his love that he would serve. The scriptures say that he didn't come to be served, but to serve, that he would give up his life. But before he does that, he paints this picture of a new kind of kingdom that those who follow the kingdom would grab bowls, that they would serve people, Right, because at the end of this, he says, look, you, you've seen me do this. You've learned what I've, I've done. Now, now you go do. You pick up a bowl and you begin to wash people's feet. That this is a new kind of kingdom, one that they were not expecting, one who has all the power and all the authority but humbles himself to be a servant. And then he expects you and he expects me to serve that if we truly are going to love one another, we don't put ourselves in positions where others serve us, but we serve one another. In your job, the job that nobody wants to do, you do it. You volunteer. You, if you have a roommate, if you're single and you have a roommate, you, you, you do the job that your roommate doesn't want to do. That if you're both followers of Jesus, there is almost this battle of outserving one another. That if you're married, you, you would serve your spouse. To, to truly love your spouse is to serve your spouse. This is the new kind of kingdom that Jesus is bringing. 
And then the last thing, the, the ultimate example of this new kind of kingdom is Jesus forgives his enemies. Listen to this in Luke 23, 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus is beaten and the scriptures say uh, beyond recognition, right? Just brutally beaten. He, he's nailed to a cross and in the midst of that, this king in this new kind of kingdom, this new reality, asks his father to forgive those who have just, who have just done this to him. This is a revolutionary kind of life. This is a different kind of kingdom that you and I are invited to be a part of. Not a kingdom where Jesus comes and he overthrows the rulers and the government, but a kind of kingdom where Jesus says, we will love one another. That the the reality of heaven could be seen here on earth and that you get to play a part in that that as followers of Jesus, that we can love one another in a way that others experience the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus comes to eliminate something much greater than a Roman empire. He comes to bring peace in the midst of chaos and brokenness and sin in our own lives. Our own kingdoms and our own empires that we establish, Jesus comes to break down those barriers and to bring true peace into our lives. It doesn't come through power, but it comes through God's love, this king's love. So I don't know what you know about Jesus. I don't know what you're expecting of this king and this kingdom, but it's much greater than you could ever imagine. It's much more than you could ever want. He will give you what you ultimately need and desire. So just like I asked last week, I'll ask again. Have you experienced this kingdom? Like, have you believed in this king who loves you so much that he would give up himself for you? That he serves in such a way where he washes his disciples' feet. He breaks down any walls, any boundaries, any barriers that would keep you from experiencing his kingdom. And then he forgives. He paints this picture that forgiveness is available to all. No matter who you are or what you've done or the life that you've lived, forgiveness is available to you. Have you experienced it? And then probably the real question we have to ask ourselves is, have we forgotten about this kingdom? Have we put our trust in our faith in another kind of kingdom? A kingdom that rules much differently than God rules. Ways that are much different than what we are experiencing even in our own country and in our world. And then the third part, are you living it out? Are you living out the practices of the kingdom? Are you doing your part to eliminate boundaries and barriers where you are inviting people to experience the kingdom of God? It's the scripture we looked at last week where the friends literally tear apart a roof. They tear apart a roof so their friend could have access to the kingdom. Are we doing that? Are we loving? Are we picking up the bowl? Are we serving those around us? And are we forgiving? Are we setting an example of what it looks like to forgive the people around us? Well, one of the the best things we get to do is to recognize who um, believe this kingdom is real and here and now that believe that God has redeemed them and rescued them ultimately from themselves, 
that grace is available to them. And so we're going to celebrate with a dad and his two kids uh, this morning. And so um, they're going to make their way to get ready for that. Uh, Greg's going to come up and and finish us off with this uh, last song. Uh, Just a reminder, parents, our kids should be entering into here uh, any second. Um, As this ends, you will uh, pick them up in the back corner um, over here. Um, Would you pray with me? Um, Greg will, will lead us in this song and then just hang tight. Give, uh, give us a second to get ready, um, for, uh, for this little part of our, our service where we celebrate with, uh, some people. Father, thank you for today. I'm so thankful Lord for your kingdom, um, a kingdom that's different than what many people were expecting. This kingdom of love, a kingdom that is accepting of us, that, that makes a way for us to, to come back to you. A kingdom, Lord, where we're not looking to be served, but to serve. Lord, would you help us as we begin to live out forgiveness in our lives, as we have for weeks looked at what it means to bring about peace and how that comes through forgiveness of our sins with you, but forgiving one another as well. Lord, would you help us to lead this way? Would you help us to believe that there's a different kind of kingdom, that this could be the reality for us personally, and for our friends, for our neighbors, and for our community. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for who you are. I pray in Jesus' name. Would you stand and sing this?